This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of the Advent Sermon Series. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. We long for thine appearing. Welcome and good morning. I am uh, Derek, one of the pastors here at uh, the Axis Church, and it is good to see you uh, today. This is the first uh, Sunday in Advent, and what would uh, getting ready for Christmas be without strands of lights that aren't working. <laughs> I've got our own little Clark Griswold moment going here. And uh, <laughs> so we will get that squared away, I promise. This morning and the remaining mornings, uh, Sundays in December, will feel a little bit different from normal, and that's, um, that's intentional. And the theme for, this, um, for these four weeks is hope. The uh, last week was actually Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year. And as Christians, this signals a transition from us living in the illumination of Christ and his glory during ordinary time, the time from Pentecost until Advent, and we move into a season of darkness and anticipation, re-entering into this annual rhythm of longing and awaiting rescue which will culminate at, at Easter, right? So this 2,000-year-old pattern helps us participate with all the church in the expectation of Christ's first coming and our blessed hope in the certain and eventual appearing of the Lord at the end of the age. We start our Advent journey together considering the idea of hope, which is uh, this idea of hope, particularly biblical hope, is an expectation or trust or a confidence in something or someone. So it's not just kind of an, an, an idea of, well, I sure hope that happens with nothing tangible or substantive behind it. It's certain. There's confidence in it. And so my, I think the, the question to ask is, what, what are we hoping in? There needs to be, there's got to be something tangible behind this notion of hope if it implies confidence and trust as it does? Is there a promise of something or someone that can be hoped in? It seems to me that without an object, hope is a pipe dream, a false, fleeting, and fruitless prospect that can't sustain us or give us a reason to go on. Our society is drifting and angry and divided because at best it hopes in hope and has faith in faith. And at worst, it doesn't hope in anything at all and has lost faith in just about everything. And so the journey we begin this week is a reminder that things aren't that different today than they were in the weeks preceding Christ's birth. People are cynical about the institutions of our day. Rome's promise of peace back then was a joke, especially if you were in an occupied area. And the possibility that anything would change seemed pretty hopeless. But for the Christian, this time of year is a reminder of our faith playing out in traditions and calendar dates that are designed to encourage us that the hope we have is not in an intangible, empty promise of our culture, but in a very real person and in his work, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this played out in real time, and it still renews us today. And to assist you with this over the next several weeks, 
uh, leading up to Christmas, we've got a resource for you. They should be out in the lobby on the back table. I think that's right. Um, John Piper's Joy to the World, Daily Readings for Advent. Just encourage you to pick that up today. They're snippets with scripture and a little commentary, but this is, uh, it's a helpful, it's helpful to have something a little extra, a little different than maybe your normal rhythm to help orient your heart. So grab one of those before you get out of here um, this morning. Um, so let's pray, and then I'll share a few additional thoughts in the time we have remaining. Almighty God and Eternal Father, please give us grace to cling to a true and living hope, to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he will come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. So why do we need hope? As I mentioned, we need it because we live in a messed up world. And sure, there are moments of peace and happiness, but pain and disease and conflict and distress and violence and shame and affliction and heartache and disappointment and dissatisfaction are also constant companions. And it's easy to wonder where all this is going. We need something better than to just make the most of our circumstances or to conjure a glass half full kind of attitude in order to make something of this life. So it got me thinking about the human condition, this whole idea of hope, especially in light of politics and pandemics. And, and what, do we, what do we tend to fear the most? What do we often try to avoid at almost any cost? Pain, discomfort, and probably at the core of all of it, death. We're just we're trying to avoid the inevitable. And what are we most likely to pursue? What is it that we often want the most? Happiness, prosperity, peace, comfort. So we live our lives desperately avoiding the inevitable and desperately seeking to feel good. And you think about this into what we get marketed to all the time, commercials and media, see it every day. And we think about the lengths that people go to in an effort to slow aging, avoid death, live comfortably. It's easy to get caught up in this thinking and to be influenced by it, which is very human. We are mortal after all. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to die. But I can't help but think in the back of my mind, we were meant for something more. And as Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. So he acknowledges this is real. And he's, he's also made everything beautiful in its time. But he's also set eternity in the human heart. That restlessness, that mind worm, that notion that haunts us was planted into us by our creator. So I brought a few things with me to help us think through this today. So here we go with the props again. Don gets his maps, I get my props. Just bear with me. I grabbed these from uh, 
this and a couple of other items I'll bring out here in a second, um, that are important reminders as I consider, or reminders to me as I consider this idea of hope. This skull sets in my office because um, death is inevitable. And it's easy to think that this is all there is and that this is what I gotta, it's just, just this, this idea of this, this now, which is good on the one hand, but understand it's coming, right? Death is a one-to-one -one proposition. We all get it. There's a Latin phrase that frequently comes to my mind. And it's the reason that this skull sits in my office. This phrase is even on a t-shirt that I wear. And it's memento more. And it means, remember, you will die. Back to Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. The dust returns to the earth as it was. That's me. I'm a creature of dust. And the spirit that indwells me, the spirit of God, goes back to the God who gave it. And even St. Paul informs us in Hebrews chapter 9, just as it is appointed for man to die once, it's coming, it's appointed. And after this comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So here's a glimpse of hope in the midst of this. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so since I'm going to die, and I can't avoid it, and I must remember this, how should I live? Second item I have here. Ah. I'm hoping I can get that to stick a little bit, tip over on me. And it's not the time I have remaining up here, by the way. So I may or may not be done before that's out. But it just reminds me that, oh, see, I'm going to turn it this way. You just won't get to watch it slide. Um, this reminds me that time is fleeting. Uh, we have one life to live, and time is precious. So I can't I can waste it accumulating as much as possible, living for myself, trying not to die. Or I can consider what Moses said about this in Psalm 90. Our days may come to 70 or even 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And to the Athenians, in Acts 17, Paul proclaimed that from one man, God made every nationality, every person, every human in, in their tribes to live over the whole earth, and he has determined their appointed times and the exact places where they will live. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps find him and reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Even a long life is short in the scheme of things. And if I really think about it, this means that getting it right must have consequences. God put us right where he did, right when he did, for a reason, to seek him and to find him in this life. So if time is fleeting, how should I live? This third item here is one that I keep. I keep crosses in my office here and at the house, my study at home as a reminder of the cross of Christ being my promise of hope. 
He alone is the object of hope for every person. For many, a mirror reflects the image that most often is on our minds. A mirror reminds me of the march of time <laughs> more and more often now. It reminds me of the shame I carry. It reminds me of disappointments in my life. It reminds me of the aspects of humanity that I'm most concerned with. What's, what's that spot? Why, where's my hair going? But the cross of Christ is also a mirror. When the people were instructed to look upon the serpent on the pole that Moses erected for them to, in order for them to be saved from the venom of the snake bites that they were suffering because of their unfaithfulness, and you can read more about this in Numbers chapter 21. But they were told, in order to be healed from their bite, to gaze on the object of what they feared the most, what they feared in that moment, the thing that was killing them. They were to face their fear in the hope that they would be healed. And we read in St. John's Gospel, chapter 3, the, the, the two verses preceding the most familiar verse we know. So we all know, for God so loved the world, but preceding that in verse 14 and 15, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You see, it's in the horror of the cross and all that it contains, my deepest fears, the supreme injustices in life, my guilt, my shame, my regrets, the rejection that I felt. It's all embodied right here. He, he went through every bit of it. He suffered every bit of it. Everything I fear, everything I hate, everything I dread is embodied in that moment. And what's worse is that while I have a lot of that coming to me, he didn't have any of it coming to him. But I look to this because that's where all of that converges in my heart. And if I stare long enough, and if I gaze into this dark, awful place, facing the object that embodies my own mortal wound, what emerges is something I don't expect. What emerges is light and life and hope. St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, our true enemy, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. This is us. People in need of rescue from the grip of death and a life lived enslaved and bound up in a desperate attempt to escape it and to create some kind of meaning in life. Christ is the promise 
of our hope realized. He defines meaning and purpose. He reorients priorities. He transcends circumstances. My life is not going to necessarily be better or longer or more fulfilled by worldly standards than anyone else's, for we are all called to live crucified lives. But the light of the cross and the burial and its resurrection, all of this changes everything about how I am to live. And along these lines, St. Paul tells young Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, in the time we have, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Talk about these things. Make these things important. This hope we have is not a blind leap into a dark chasm. It is based on a promise. It is grounded and proven and true on evidence and experience. It can be counted on, believed in, and trusted. Our hope is in a person, and this person lived and died and is resurrected and ascended. These are immutable facts of history, and he will return. And the resurrection in particular has significant implications on how we should live. This appearing of Christ and what it means for us, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 makes the case that everything hinges on it. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say, or I would add, how could some of you live the way you do, that there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That means death is final. If only for this hope, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It is not enough to just believe that Jesus was good and he can help me. Because that doesn't solve the biggest problem. This is more than just hope in this life. Like somehow Christianity is some kind of spiritual coping mechanism. It's our version of how to make it. Yes, your faithfulness helps you be better people, helps me be a better person. It can see us through dangers and difficulties and disappointments of life. But that's not enough to deal with my biggest problem. I'm mortal. But because he has been raised, we will be too. And because that's true, then I can now fully live and even die with quiet 
confidence and a sure hope. Because of the cross of Christ, how should I live? To find true and lasting hope, we must give up hope in everything else. And this will be our greatest challenge for the rest of our lives. Christianity is about hope in Christ alone, resting in the finished work and his resurrection. This results in peace and confidence and even creativity. Darkness and despair descended on humanity when sin entered this world and has gripped, gripped every human heart since. But this darkness is being driven out by Christ. Despair has been displaced by forgiveness. Death has been defeated. And our true enemies, the demons, I always throw that in for my family, are being routed. Don't let anything deprive you of hope in Christ or from acting on it, even when it feels like it's taking forever for things to be made right, for Christ to appear, for our own sanctification. Lean into the promise that we have in this hope of Christ, this hope in Christ. Don't drift away from it. Time is too short and the stakes are too high. I read a quote recently that said, the problem is not that everyone isn't a Christian. It's that not all Christians are saints. It's that not all Christians act like it. It's, not, it's that not all Christians live in the light of the resurrection. In 1 Peter 3, it says, don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and reverence. So let's fight the drift away from hope this morning. And at the same time, determine to persevere in faithfulness until the promise of our hope is realized. This waiting shouldn't be resented. Waiting is the natural state of a Christian. Quiet patience is the learned behavior of the person experiencing spiritual growth. And this is also the resting posture of the church, such as Advent, when we're intentionally and collectively entering into a season of longing and waiting for the return of our Lord. This is an active waiting, not a passive kind, like, like we're at the DMV or something. Like there is waiting that is soul draining. <laughs> Just, and that's not what we're talking about. God provides grace to us in this waiting through a constant stream of communication and through prayer and through his word and through the community. Because no part of our lives is insignificant. Every encounter with God changes us and leads to transformation. All the woman in the crowd had was hope. But somehow, some way, she thought just brushing up against Christ would change things. So she waited. From last week, Bartimaeus, all he had was hope. It may be, just maybe, if he waited there long enough, the Messiah would glance into his own sightless eyes and things would be different. What did the thief on the cross have but hope? He just ridiculed and mocked the man he's now turning to in the moment of the, the end. Will you remember me when you enter in your kingdom? We think about, that's what he's got. And that's all we need. 
and then to act in it. The people that Christ encountered and who responded to him with faith were transformed into what Zechariah 9.12 calls prisoners of hope. I'm gripped by it. It changes what I think about and the way I look at the world. And we act on this promise through faithfulness to a person. It, it changes our decisions, our, our choices, our relationships, our priorities, our attitudes, our posture, our purpose. I don't live the same way I lived in light of the fact that this isn't final and this is going to run out and this changes everything. We're to live in the light of Christ in a dark world, reflecting that light in every aspect of our lives to the glory of the Father. And this hope is shared by all of us in the church. It's a light that's not meant to be your flickering candle alone. It's the collective brightness of Christ himself as we shine together. So it's our joy and our privilege and our responsibility to join him in rescuing people from their fear and their hatred and their despair, leading them to faith and hope and joy. For those who aren't Christians yet, there's no hope without an object. Something that addresses the real questions of life and death. Without Christ, only a dystopian future awaits in this life and the next. We were made in the image and likeness of God and truth exists outside of ourselves. And hope is only found outside of the system we find ourselves in and enslaved to today. Please bend your knee to Christ the King today and gain union with the Father and enter into a family that is being shaped into the very form of Christ himself. And Christian, Jesus is our living hope and our lives are his. Live like you will live forever. And accept the truth of all the implications of this reality. Bend your knee again and again to Christ the King and learn what it means to trust him again and again. Lean into your union with the Father and embrace your place in the family of God that's being shaped and perfected and completed into the very form of Christ himself. And we're going to express our hope this morning by sharing in the Thanksgiving meal together for believers' communion it's a time we collectively knit our hearts and lives to Christ, who promised to be present with us in this moment. We approach the table as humble beggars, where he offers a sacrificial meal to us. And by receiving these graces of broken bread and poured out juice and wine, we sanctify in our hearts to the Lord Christ. This very act of taking and dipping and eating is an act of hope. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he continued that the cup was a new covenant in his blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So come and enter into this hope this morning. Stations are located on both sides of the platform. We'll have some self-serve stations in the back. There are options to dip prepared bread into juice or wine, as well as some sealed cups. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, and we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, 
Surely the Lord is coming soon, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. And now, may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and remain with us always, even to the end of the age. You may come when you're ready. You've been listening to a message in the Advent Sermon Series from the Access Church in downtown Nashville. To hear more, visit theaccesschurch.org.